Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of shit show moments, and I'm sure there's more shit show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Jen. I love chatting with her. Jen is a lawyer turned travel blogger who took 20 trips in 12 months while being employed full time. She has been featured by the Washington Post, ABC News, and Huffington Post as a budget and solo travel expert. Jen is also the number one Amazon bestselling author. Her debut book, The Affordable Flight Guide, How to Find Cheap Flights and See the World on a Budget, is a 2018 Reader's Favorite Award winner. Also, she did a TED Talk titled The Power of Flying Solo as well. In this episode, we go into so many great things from how she was able to travel while she was employed full-time, how to find cheaper flights, great places to just solo travel as a female, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Jen, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments you might resonate with. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Sophia. So my 20s were interesting. I definitely worked a lot. I went to school. I was already in law school at 21 and graduated by 24. So it felt like I'd spent a lot of my 20s just getting through kind of the rigorous education process, trying to get to that, you know, coveted adulthood where you get all the benefits and life would be taken care of, which despite having eventually been an attorney with five years experience, I never quite got what was promised. Um, And that was eventually a reason why I ended up doing a career change. uh, Because in my 20s, I felt like I did a lot of working, dating, a little bit of traveling. When I was in law school, I did six weeks in Sydney, Australia as part of the Australian Law Reform Commission's internship program. And then I got that taste of traveling that I really enjoyed. But when I became a young attorney, I didn't have time off to be able to do that. So it wasn't until I changed to a nonprofit job. I was 28 and I started traveling more. That year, my first year of the nonprofit, suddenly I had federal holidays, bank holidays, like just all these great days that I'd never had off as a private attorney because I'd be working Christmas day or Thanksgiving. And so I was able to combine that with the paid time off and take six trips the first year. And then the year before my 30th birthday, I took a 12 trips in 12 months challenge while still working full time. And And in doing that, I visited 41 cities across 11 countries. I ended up taking 20 trips and it was incredible. I felt that that was what I owed to myself because I had spent so much time working and doing all the right things and following the path. And it had just gotten me to 
being 29 and overworked and, you know, under vacationed. And I really felt, even though I, I still feel young now, I still felt, I feel like the 20s are just known as your quote unquote, like youth, right? And it's really the only real decade that you have to kind of be young and be reckless and make crazy decisions and not worry about anybody else. And when you're doing things, you know, and so just be completely selfish and go decide you want to take a gap year or whatever the case may be. And so I didn't want to let that time pass without really engaging in some of that in some way. So that last year, I had that sense of urgency, like, okay, this is it. Like now or never, you're only going to be 29. And then that's it. Like your 20s are over forever. So if you're going to do anything young and wild and crazy, this is the time. And that year changed my life. Wow. And I'm curious, what was it about 29 that you're like, this has to be different? Like, I know all this leading up, I followed the path, I knew I did everything I was supposed to do. Was there anything particular that also happened in your life to trigger that? Sure. A lot of romantic mishaps. So during the later half of my my 20s, I was doing dating apps and I was trying to put myself out there and I was trying to give everybody a shot and just be open-minded and meet people. And in Miami and South Florida and uh, Naples, kind of that area, it was a really interesting dating scene. And so it wasn't necessarily self-affirming. If anything, I think for a woman, it can be a really horrible way to go about things in the online dating world because so many of us are used to having, you know, multiple people that we're conversing with and considering. And then as women, we're like, okay, we have to be absolutely perfect in every sense, right? And we have to put together this amazing profile with these very pictures showing me at all these angles. And I have to look a certain way and dress a certain way. And it's so much pressure on us. Whereas I do feel that men kind of just get to be like, hey, we're young, we're cool, we're here. (laughs) It's really not that much thought put into it. And that is mostly self-inflicted, I'm sure. But there's also a lot of societal standards, right? like the Disney princesses and, you know, the pressure on us to be fertile and, uh, you know, be settled down by a certain age. And on top of all of that, like be professional and have it all. Whereas men can just be professional and nobody questions them. Like, why haven't you had children yet? Like, you know, maybe their grandmother, but nobody's going to sit there and question. George Clooney got to be in his fifties with nobody batting an eyelid that he wanted to just be a bachelor. And they were like, that's cool, dude. Whereas like Jennifer Aniston every other day, they're like, but when are you going to have children? Um, And so it's very much, I think, a societal pressure that we internalize and then make it so that we have to be this certain model. And then for me, 30 was just a mounting pressure because now the baby showers, the wedding showers, the engagements, all of these announcements are getting more frequent and it's amplified because we see it all on social media, right? And we are, you know, seeing everybody's wins and then we're thinking, well, crap, like they're somewhere faster than me or I didn't get to this milestone quickly enough. So for a lot of overachieving women, which I think are so many of us, and just naturally being, you know, more receptive to emotions and and that of others, it can be really conflicting to want to be happy for your friends to want to celebrate their wins while also simultaneously feeling like you're not keeping up. So 29 is just I think the first big milestone birthday where you're really cognizant of your life and internalizing things because you're not seeing that at nine to 10, right, your kid. And at 20, you're just like, I 
can't wait to get to 21 so I can drink my way like all around town. Um, so you're not really thinking about like, where am I at 20? It's really 29, 30, where you finally start to be like, oh, wow, like time is passing. I am entering this adulthood phase. Like, am I an adult? Like, am I where I'm supposed to be? And I think that everybody experiences that, but it's just especially pronounced because of so many expectations for women by a set time period. It's like, I feel like it's musical chairs and everybody says like the songs is going to run out. And so we're all just scrambling to try and find a chair to sit on and not end up on the floor being like, how did I lose this game? And so that's how I look at it. <laughs> I love that analogy because it's so true. <laughs> Thinking about everyone like running around at 29. <laughs> that's awesome. So you decide I'm going to do 12. Okay. Where did the idea of 12 trips in 12 months come from? Sure. So it just started off like I actually had a guy I was seeing on a Tinder non-boyfriend because he made that very clear that we were not in a relationship. And despite that, my over-pleasing self wanting to, you know, somehow finagle that into like, I actually secretly love you. I want to marry you. I, I, that's what I heard. And so I, I actually purchased two tickets for us to go to New York City to celebrate New Year's Eve, which I'm glad we didn't do because I actually read nightmare stories about like watching the ball drop and you have to stand for 13 hours and like wear adult diapers and crazy stuff. So that didn't work out. He ended up ghosting me and then I got left with two tickets again fully my in retrospect I understand and I get like what I had done but at the time I was really just heartbroken and like not understanding how I felt like I had worked so hard to have everything put together so nicely and presented so well like I was a total package and yet for some reason I couldn't I just couldn't find somebody and so I decided I was going to trade in those two tickets and go and I was going to first take myself out of online dating because I was like this is making me feel bad I feel devalued I feel like I'm one of many I feel like I'm constantly competing and I'm just not enjoying meeting people in this way so let me just stop doing that even though it's what everybody says is what you have to do to meet somebody nowadays so I decided let me delete these dating apps and just like have a year or not even a year at this point I just wanted a trip that I didn't waste the tickets so I traded those in and I was able to get a ticket to Athens Greece and so I went to Athens and I went to Greece for my birthday and I was at the Parthenon on my birthday and I had moussaka and I you know got a tour of the new museum there with a fantastic guide that I I had found in like a Rick Steves supplement online and she gave me a special birthday rate and she was VIP and she got us through the entire museum like even when they were closing down and all the uh, security guards knew her because she was that important they were like oh yeah we'll stay open for you and so I got like an amazing experience at one of the world's best places to be most ancient places I went out that night and I had a like a cocktail tour that I did with a group of women and then I met a guy there a Greek guy that I would later that year come back to the Greek islands for and that's a whole other story but I had fun and I enjoyed my life and I did something with it and I instead of sitting there like lamenting wishing that somebody else was there with me like I took the time and the opportunity that I had and I made the most of it and I will never forget that birthday I'm so glad I did that I'm so glad I went and then when I was there I was just loving feeling that way I really enjoyed thinking like wow I brought myself here I saw something really amazing today that I'll always remember and I wanted to extend that feeling like I didn't I worried about going back and getting back into the emotional rush 
rut or wanting to download the apps again or wanting to get out there and wanting to, you know, just feeling bad at events. And so I dreaded that. And I thought, well, if I have another trip planned, then I don't have to worry about all of that because I'm, I'm just worrying about planning the trip. And then I had always thought that for birthdays, you kind of need to have like a midnight to midnight rule. Again, like the Disney princess standard, right? So I thought like Cinderella at midnight, your time is up. And I thought that people who extended their birthday celebrations like a month or, you know, a week and have a whole itinerary that they were like greedy. You only get one day for your birthday. And then that year I was like, why think that way? Like, why can't I get a ton of like birthday celebrations from now till 30? It's my last 20s celebration. So why not? celebrate with one trip every month? Why not try doing something differently other than the way that it's expected or the way that I think it's supposed to go? Like, what if I just go wild and I get super greedy and I want all the birthday celebrations at crazy places around the world. And then in doing that and planning that, I'll be so distracted that I won't have time to worry about like, oh, 30s approaching. Oh, I have not gotten pregnant. I don't have a ring on my finger yet. Like what is wrong? And so I'll be, so I'll just redirect that anxious energy. So instead of like three hours browsing dating apps and talking with non, you know, responsive texts, I would instead research really cool places around the world, figure out ways to get there on a budget. Like that took up so much of my time because I was a public service attorney. So I was making, you know, like $50,000 a year and I was stretched. And so I had to learn how to both make more money as a side hustle at home online without anybody knowing, and then also find cheaper flights because I couldn't afford to be paying $2,000 to fly anywhere. So I went and I learned everything I could, downloaded every podcast I could, really got into both of those things. And then I started teaching English online and that helped me supplement my income to pay for the trips. And I'm curious, like, how did you balance both at the same time? How did you do 12 trips while maintaining your full time job? You also started a side hustle. How were you able to do all of those things at the same time? It was not sustainable. So <laughs> the answer is I only did it for a short time. And so there was a light at the end of the tunnel and things got real messy towards the end. Like in the beginning, no problem. One trip, one month, you're okay. But then towards the middle, I started to get like that kind of anxious, crazy, like even more nervous nervous feeling. So I doubled down and then it became that I got good at finding flight deals. So then it was like, oh, I can't pass up a $300 round trip flight to Argentina. Like I have to go. And so I ended up doubling up on my trips and doing two trips every month. So I ended up finishing with 20 trips and I ended up double booking some trips. I had to take some sick days. I got invited to be on the, like a, a VIP guest at a taping of the Chew at Epcot at Disney. And that's a three hour drive from where I was working, but I took a sick day that day and it felt like a TV show, right? Cause I'm on a live TV screening and I'm just praying like my boss is not watching this show from her office and sees Jen and the uh, audience just sitting here tasting cake. <laughs> But also I had zero regrets about missing work that day to be VIP at the Chew, tasting cake, like the one in a life, once in a lifetime experience. I got free admission to the park. They gave us a $50 Disney gift card that I went afterwards and got like this amazing margarita from Mexico from that they have these really fancy like $50 margaritas. And so I went and I splurged and I had a great time and I was, I, I just, I wouldn't pass that up and I've not had that opportunity since and I didn't have that opportunity before then. So I feel like I don't 
don't regret that I used that one day that's already accrued and already in my bank of things to use. Like to me, it makes no sense. What difference does it make to my boss if I'm at home hugging the toilet or on TV eating cake? And so <laughs> to me, either way, I've used the day that I was entitled to, to call out of work for personal reasons. And so I, that became a little bit messy too. I think my boss started to suspect some things. And so it was definitely not sustainable. And I would have had a really hard time. I returned to work the next year for four months. I quit at the end of April. In February, I had planned a trip to Portugal that I had found like a $200 round trip flight for back months ago. And so I tried to go on that trip, but my boss had called me. It involved calling out like a Friday so I could go for the long weekend. And my boss had actually like answered and asked like, you know, you're supposed to actually be sick for sick days. And I got so flustered that I ended up leaving my passport at home and the flight was from Miami and I was driving from Naples. So it was too long to go back the other two hours to get my passport and come back and make the flight. And the flight was so cheap that they couldn't change me to another ticket later that day or anything like that. So I lost that flight. I lost potential, you know, sponsorships I already had lined up in Portugal. And so I was so mad and I felt so trapped by my job. And I felt like, ah, like that I went that weekend and I finished writing my first book that weekend. Like I just sat there and I cranked out like 40,000 words in two days. Um, and so out of anger. Um, and, and that's when I saw that I could actually do digital products. I could actually make money online and something other than teaching online because teaching online was still working for someone else. It was different than being able to monetize my own online presence. And up until then, I had gotten complimentary stays. I'd gotten complimentary things, but I hadn't been paid like in a way that was lucrative for me to make a living off of my site. So the book was my first source of income from you know my own entrepreneurial ventures. And that was really empowering and important because already I know I have one book, which means if I have two books, I can double this income, right? Like I could just keep making more and more. And it showed me that it was valid. I think I had a lot of fear over, is this legitimate? Is anything online like MLMs? Is it, there's entrepreneur like a scam, right? Like are any of these things real? And so seeing that and doing that and actually like getting my hands in it really gave me the confidence. The book became a bestseller in eight categories on Amazon. It ended up getting a reader's favorite award and I quit my job and I just took the full leap thinking first off I've run out of vacation and sick days so at this point there's no escaping <laughs> it's really I just gotta either quit or I'm gonna suck it up for another year until I gain some of these bad boys back. And then it also seemed like a good time, right? Because I was young, I just turned 30. I didn't have any pets. I didn't have any plants. I didn't have any children. I didn't have a husband or a boyfriend. So I could make a decision like selfishly just for me. And I would, I worried that if I didn't do it, that I might look back and think, oh, that was the time. I should have tried something different. And I knew that law would always be there. So much as I hate to say it, like I knew I could find a job doing some really boring law job that nobody else wanted to do that would be available for me if I wanted to. And so I had that kind of as a security to just like go ahead and take the leap and see what happens. And now I've been going full time for the last it's 2022, so four years. You lose track of time. And yeah, and it, it, the, within the first year, I was able to replace my attorney income. And I've already since more than doubled that. And so it's been a journey. And it's even during the pandemic, even when travel ceased, even when all the income streams I had built up, you know, for two years, uh, then were seriously questioned. Uh, it's, it's still going and I found a way to keep going. And I think that that's 
part of being an entrepreneur is you have to just be prepared to roll with it. They say it's like jumping off a cliff and building a parachute on the way down. And it sure does feel that way. But I'm, I'm cool with it. Like I'll continue perfecting my parachute building skills. I make a ding a little bit on the way down, but I still prefer it this way. And I still prefer this life than wondering what would have happened or if I had been bold enough to try it. Mm, that's amazing I love that and I love that you were able to now because like now with your story you're showing a way to so many other people now so many other people see like this opportunity and I'm curious so like before you left did you do anything in terms of preparing for leaving or did you kind of just leave the job yeah so already in December I was thinking that possibly this would be happening I had a talk with my mom like kind of had a whole emotional breakdown I feel like before any next big chapter I tend to have have like a feeling of loss over the last chapter and fear about hopping into the next big pond like before I move to any big city before I start a new like school university law school it always feels like I'm comfortable where I am but also simultaneously know I need to make that leap and it's that connection and that bridge is so emotional because you know you're doing what you need to do but also it's uncomfortable and it's taking you out of where you you're you know already excelling and it's it includes a lot of the unknown so I had some time in December where I went home for Christmas and I spent time with my parents and I just kind of like let it all out felt all the feelings and I kind of processed that and so I knew that I was on the verge of something big and I knew that whether I wanted to or not this was something that I couldn't just decide to stay where I was and and ignore and neglect that and, and not and not take that next step to that next pond so I knew that I wanted to write a book so that was a big goal of mine and something that I might have pushed off more so I'm happy that I had that impetus in February to really write it and get it done and then and and already by March it was launched so that was just like perfect for me and then also I was working on monetizing my website because I had my website since 2014 so it was a good website in terms of the age it already had that going for it with authority but I hadn't really learned anything about how to run a website how to get your articles to show up on google what are good linking practices how to get people to link back to your website you know how to get publicity for your website and cited in places and I didn't know any of this and so I had to learn all of that and these were things that I was working on learning so at the time that I quit I didn't have it set up yet but already by January of that next year I had been accepted into the Mediavine Publisher Network which allows you to monetize traffic to your website and I was you know that's to this day what pays my rent every month so it's good thing to be a part of as a blogger and it was something that I knew I was going to be working towards I was also working towards paid press trips so I quit in April and already by July I had my first paid press trip it was on a per diem basis so $100 per day you know plus all expenses and all activities and it was at least putting me in the positive right at least now I'm netting some kind of money for these things so I had a TEDx talk that I gave that November so a few months afterwards and that was something that I had been actively working towards so learning about TEDx talks watching all these different because I as an attorney I wanted to establish legitimacy for myself because I noticed that every time I told people I was a blogger they would just like zone out and every time 
tell people you're an influencer or a content creator. It's still something I struggle with to this day. When I'm doing the professional application, I'll say something like CEO of a digital media company or something like that, because it sounds better because I feel like people don't understand what we do when in reality, it's like all those things are more. Um, and so like, it's literally everything. Like we are just the master company and one person and it's so much for one brain. So yeah, at the time I wanted to find a way to give myself legitimacy and authority and to me an established place and a stage like TEDx even though it was unpaid I knew would give me something where now I can start to look for paid public speaking gigs I can you know write that I'm a TEDx speaker in my bio things like that and just have more credibility as an expert in what it is I was sharing so I gave my first TEDx talk already by November of 2018 so I was working heavy in that first year in addition to still teaching online I went much more reliant on teaching English online to have that be kind of my full-time income. Yeah. And, and that's how I, so yes, I was preparing, learning, learning. And then the year that I quit, it was really just all about like do or die. Like now is the time to act and put everything into place and hope you swim, hope you fly, right? Like hope you, hope you make it. Fingers crossed. Um, if not, there's a whole pile of really boring law paperwork waiting for you <laughs> at the rate of like 30 to $40 an hour. Great times. And that, I, that was what I had, you know, as my safety net, but also kind of my motivation of knowing like, I don't want to go back to this and I don't want to do law and anymore. Even when I started doing conferences, people would ask me to talk about law related influencer topics. So how to do a contract, you know, things you need to know about copywriting, things you need to know about negotiations, all of that. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to practice law in any capacity. I want to do something else. So now what I do includes digital marketing, travel writing, content creation, and it's great. I find that it's a great challenge. I really enjoy that it's not monotonous, right? It's not the same lawsuit every day. It's something new. I'm constantly learning. Google keeps you on your toes. You know, like maybe you're on page one today, you're on page 50 tomorrow. It's a wild ride. And then TikTok and new social media platforms, like who would have thought we're seeing the implosion of Instagram in real time, right? And the CEO taking the videos, begging people to tell him what he can do better. And like, you know, just a whole bunch of craziness that two years ago, TikTok didn't even exist. And now it's my biggest social media platform and drives a lot of different brand campaigns and deals. So we never know what's coming next. And in a way that's so exciting because when I made this transition, I also made a big transition from what I know is planned and expected and my five-year plan and my 10-year plan and this perfect route of the perfect gen. And I decided to hell with all of that. <laughs> this, I did all of that and it got me to where like, frustrated like tinder dates like going to other people's baby showers like i did all of that and it didn't get me anywhere so i decided i'm tossing all of that aside i don't want any of that and i want this other road of like who knows what's coming next this is what's happening today today i'm in milan tomorrow i'm in thailand like who knows where i'll be next and even now as i get older because i'm 34 and the pandemic has allowed me some time to breathe and you know work on some other projects i just finished my memoir 12 trips in 12 months about this whole experience submitted the first draft to my publisher I got a traditional book deal after self-publishing five books so I decided hey you know I'm finally not traveling let me stop making excuses for why I haven't done a query letter and pitched agents and tried to get somebody to back this up and now I have a whole team of people behind me editor being assigned to me and a tv and film rights person
person. And it's really crazy how much can change in a short period of time when you decide that you want to step off path or you want to do things differently, or you really want to prioritize something that's been important to you, but that you've been putting aside for expectations or others. Mm, I love that. And that's incredible that your book's coming out. And that's so cool. It's like you go and you jump and then like all these things happen after the jump, like all these things come to meet you after. And I want to go into like when you're like budgeting for a trip, like how are you able to find these deals? Like where do you find these deals for a trip? Are you booking things like far in advance? I'd love to go into like your whole thought process around planning. Sure. So the sweet spot usually for domestic flights is like two to three months ahead and international flights anywhere from like maybe four to six months ahead. And that's just in general, right? Because if at any point in time a deal comes up, even if it's like for tomorrow, you snatch that. Don't think like, oh, it's not for six months ahead or whatever the case may be. So all of these rules are generalizations, but at any point in time, a deal can come up. And so to that end, I have three ways that I like to find flight deals guaranteed. The first is flight alerts. And I love this for lazy people, people who just have no idea what's happening. They just want to go somewhere for like 400 round trip, maybe even less, right? And the way this works is that there are companies that have hired people to go and search for flight deals for you. And they are constantly there and they're trying to find either error fares, which were mistyped. So maybe it was a $1,200 flight that was marked as $200. And sometimes it's honored. Sometimes it's not. British Airways had this whole issue when there were like round trip flights to Israel, I think for 150 pound and a bunch of people bought them. And then they were like, oop, that was a mistake. And they reneged on it. And so they had a bunch of bad PR. And so when these deals happen, the trick is to kind of get them right away. First off, before somebody catches that human error in entering the price. Second, book it through the airline directly, if at all possible, because it's much more likely to be honored if it's booked through the airline than through like cheapoair.com. And don't book anything non-refundable until you get confirmation that that ticket's, you know, going through. But I've had error fares absolutely pop up and be honored and work for the time that you find them. So, and I've seen some crazy ones, like a $70 flight to Japan from Pittsburgh. So you really never know. And flight alerts help you know when those happen. They also just track general sales and price drops and things like that. And they let you know. So I get about 12 to 20 different flight alerts a day from all these different flight alert networks. So my favorite is Scott's Cheap Flights. He's one that I joined years ago. And and then since then, he's opened an affiliate program and I became part of, but I liked him because I I found him through his original book in the library. And then that was kind of the first big influencer and person that I followed. I think back when his list was like a mere million people or something like that. And he's just a good guy, very honest. And I feel the program is straightforward and has good deals. And so solid, solid program. I know that there's a lot of fear around scams when it comes to these programs and, you know, entering a credit card and things like that. And so I love Scott's cheap flights because just everybody I know has had good experiences with them and and they're a very responsible company. And so that's flight alerts, again, for lazy people. If you just want somebody else to look for the deal, send them to your inbox and you're prepared to make moves when they arrive, perfect. Then from there, there's budget airlines. So this is how I flew to Iceland for $99, right? Or to Aruba for $70 round trip. So you can find really great deals on budget airlines. And now, especially, there's so many new budget airlines that have launched. Some have closed down, right? Like RIP, Wow 
Air, but there are new ones like Norse Atlantic Air, Breeze, Avilo, Condor, French Bee, Play Airlines. Play in particular is a lot like Wow Air and offers these flights to Iceland. So lots of ways, even French Bee even takes you to Tahiti from San Francisco for $300. So these budget airlines are no frills, but if you can, if you know that and you can plan around that, right? So you bring your own snacks, you bring your own entertainment, you have your Netflix app on your phone and you have like three seasons of stuff already downloaded to your phone, right? You have your own headphones. You're not paying for headphones. You have your own water. Your, you know, you have your own everything because they have run out of water before. It can get ghetto. Like I've had, <laughs> I have had um, only, like I, I asked for water and I've had sparkling water handed to me and then I, ha- I don't like sparkling water. So I had a really, I just drank it like a guzzle like if it was water then I was like oh my god uh, I felt like I had been poisoned and then they were like oh yeah we only have uh, gas water and I was like no so just be aware so bring all these things but if you can bring all of that you know pack light and, and everything then you're good to go And these flights the point is to get you from point a to point b like no airline's going to be overly comfortable unless we're paying now for like first class kind of dollars so just know that you'll feel so much better about it if you only paid like $30 for your flight and somebody next to you paid like 600 to be in the same seat like you'll just make feel better about the whole process so that's the second way and then the third way is points and miles and so when you want to get a kind of ridiculous deal like a $5 flight uh, the way that you see these it's because people redeem points and miles for free award travel and then they pay the taxes the fees on that flight but the flight itself is free or paid for with the points that you've accrued and then I know initially when I first started I was like oh this is super intimidating you have to be a frequent flyer you have to have like a billion points and so I just started as a regular person with no credit and no experience like I had a Victoria's Secret credit card in uh, college that I think went to collections over like $120 worth of bras and I was scarred for life and so I didn't get credits after that and I my mom was like everything cash you know like this island Puerto Rican mentality and so I didn't know about credit and I didn't know and now credit's my best friend like I have excellent credit and I love credit cards and I don't pay for anything with debit because what a waste of my money if I've spent that money and now I don't get points and miles for it what did that money even do (laughs) so but that's just it's been an evolution to get to that point and it started with taking out my first travel credit card it was a co-branded JetBlue credit card and I met the minimum spend threshold very low it was like a thousand dollars so it wasn't super intimidating for me and I got the bulk award of points and I was able to redeem that for an award for Um, and then using points and miles that same system and taking out different credit cards and you know meeting the minimum spend threshold with Delta and American I was able to get flights like the $16 flight to Ecuador and the $38 flight to New Zealand and so I think points and miles are great when you don't have flexibility like I have to be in Italy in the middle of July for a wedding like on these exact dates like points and miles will get you there or somebody who wants to upgrade, right? Points and miles are a way to fly first class without really breaking the bank. I'm curious, is there any airlines you won't go on or are you pretty open to going on any airlines? I'm pretty open because I no airline is infallible. As much as people have brand loyalty, when you start flying 
a lot, you'll realize like every airline has issues. Every airline has delays. Every airline will lose luggage. There's no such thing as like, I only fly Southwest because Southwest will absolutely never lose my luggage and never be delayed. Like, okay. I, and then at the same time, like airlines that people look down on, like, oh, I wouldn't fly Frontier. And then next thing you know, Frontier's on time, like they're there. So I feel like it's all humans and airline staff and airline agents. Like they go and work for different airlines all the time. Again, it's not like we have like, just a set road or a set path for people. So it's really just all the same. We're talking about air transit, period. And I think the only way that it differs is when, again, we're talking about seats, you know, leg room, things like that. JetBlue is obviously preferred. But again, now we're talking more what I prefer versus what I would avoid. And I wouldn't necessarily avoid anything if I felt I had a good deal and it was going to where I wanted to go because all airlines, you know, meet the same safety requirements. All airlines are governed by the same uh, overarching body. So it's not like they're going to be subject to different rules. Like it's all the same and they're all, it's all the same. And you know, you can't control if a flight is delayed from somewhere else. Like I feel like the best you can do is understand that it happens. Like Delta's had massive delays. Americans had massive delays. Like Spirits had massive, everybody's had massive delays. Like there's not one airline that's just like, we are perfect. Come fly with us because your experience will be seamless. And so I think the less that you try to control that, and the more that you try to control what you can control, which is, okay, let me be aware, is my flight going to be delayed? If I can know this before somebody else, because I have this flight tracker app that tells me that it's not coming in from this other place first, I can go and talk to the agent before somebody else and maybe get into another plane, you know, before the rush of people. What can you actually control? Because sitting there and bemoaning the experience isn't going to change what's happening. And if anything, it's going to make people less inclined to help you. So I would just try to focus on how you can be the smartest traveler possible. You know, you're delayed overnight. Great. Where can you stay? Are you going to stay here at the airport? Do you have a hotel you want to stay at? Is there any kind of proof you need to keep? Is there anywhere that can reimburse you for this? Your credit card? Does the airline have a policy that they'll reimburse you for any expenses? Like this is so much better question than why are you late? <laughs> like, it's just, it's going to get you further. Um, and I think a lot of people, air travel, spend a lot of time lamenting that they're in the situation versus trying to fix it. And I think it, it's just, it's one, something to be expected when you're traveling. Yeah, that's such a good point, being proactive and really setting yourself up to have the best result with your trip. And I'm wondering, something I've been seeing is like people taking like a whole year off and like traveling full time for that year. I'm curious if anyone wants to be able to do that, what would your tips be? How much would you recommend saving to be able to take that year off? What would you recommend there? Sure. I think that really depends on what they're doing. So if they're taking it off completely, like they're not doing any remote income whatsoever. I don't know if I would re uh, recommend because there's always ways to do like side gigs, projects, hustles, little things here and there. And I would keep those avenues open wherever possible. But there's different ways to volunteer and work abroad. So you can decide you want to do a long term project that you're working through like Wolf or all these other kind of world packers or these programs that allow you to find opportunities to work abroad and they you know, have you work for a certain number of days or a certain number of hours. And then in exchange, they provide like your meals and accommodation. So that's one way to do that for an extended period of time, looking to travel scholarships and opportunities. My friend Gabby at Pax Light has a uh, whole scholarship board because she herself was funded to go all over the world and Dubai and Korea. So she helps people find those opportunities as well. So you can find funding grants, things like that to help you take that year. You could do your own kind of self-funded way through it. You're going to be working 
being online and then just traveling and, and staying economically wherever you can doing things like house sitting or, you know, just working with a different initiative that maybe is there at that time. If you know somebody's having a conference and you want to volunteer at a conference in, in exchange for having them host you or whatever the case may be. So there's many different ways to get creative. Like I know you can teach monks for a couple of months if you want to teach English in China or any of these kind of immersion programs that you can go to. So you can look for a program to hire you. You can try and find a scholarship. You can try and work with an organization or multiple ones, like multiple volunteer areas that are going to house you, you know, and just kind of hop like you want to spend two months doing a volunteer project in Italy or things like that. Or you can work remotely while you travel. That's so many good tips. I didn't know that there was actually scholarships for that and grants. Oh yeah, absolutely. A ton. So besides there being like travel opportunities that you can enter to win and that are merit-based, but you also have tons of different scholarships for different reasons and for different purposes, right? For different backgrounds could be, you know, they'll have a nursing or, you know, whatever the case may be. But yeah, my friend has a whole PTO dashboard, pay travel opportunities dashboard on paxlight.com. So you can check that out. Perfect. And if someone wants to travel alone, they're a female, what countries would you recommend going to? What tips would you recommend in terms of safety as well? There. So again, understanding that anywhere you go, there's good and bad, right? So I could live here in the US and people are so scared to come and travel to the US. People think the US is one of the most dangerous countries in the world. They're seeing videos all over the place of like people getting shot up, children getting shot. Like people are terrified to come to the US. So I think as the US, we have this kind of insular mentality of be like, oh my goodness, like go to this third world country. Just like people look at us like a third world country, like these crazy ass people that can't control anything. And like, it's super dangerous. And like, don't go there. And if you're black, like you're going to get like a bunch of racism. Like people just think horrible things about the US. So already understand that what you're thinking about other countries, people are probably thinking about where you already live. So bearing that in mind, everywhere you go is going to have good and bad. And definitely some places are easier to travel in if you're a female than if you're not here in the US, you generally do have, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of attire. In other places, you may have to be more cognizant of what you wear. In other places, it may be less uh, common to see a woman walking alone, or you may get harassed more. And so I think if you want to find good places to go places, I've every place is going to vary and something bad can happen anywhere. So you want to keep aware and you want to have your wits about you. But places that I found that are really wonderful, welcoming, just great to explore and that I personally felt comfortable in Iceland is a really great place. There's a ton of nature, everything's out in the open. The Icelandic people aren't really that bothered by anything. And like their water super clean. That could also be part of why they're not angry because uh, they're just drinking like water straight from, you know, the, the cliff or the stream and they take pride in that and there's a lot to see and it's a lot of bucket list things like I went inside an actual volcano in Iceland and it's like one of the only places in the world where you can enter a former magma chamber so so many cool adventure bucket list things to do highly recommend it's just peaceful although it's expensive I do think that somewhere like Ecuador is surprisingly easy to travel because it has 
you know, in, uh, dollars, the currency, a lot of people, people or at least understand or are able to cater to tourism, even though they don't promote tourism in the same way that like Peru and Colombia does. So maybe it doesn't get the same kind of like ratchet, like bachelor parties or, you know, things like that. Like it's really just more of a cultural experience. And I think that's part of why they keep it that way. And you can go and stand in the Southern and Northern hemisphere at once. So that's pretty cool. Like standing in the actual center of the world. And they have a lot of really cool kind of like jungle adventure things you can do if you want to go like rafting or bunny jumping or hiking or rappelling or like all those things you can do there so and you can see like really beautiful wildlife you can go out to the Galapagos so Ecuador I think is underrated and it's easy to reach from the U.S. and affordable like you can find $300 round trip flights where else might I recommend I think there's a lot of places that have a lot of tourists and because of that it can feel easier to visit like Bali or Thailand I think they have a lot of they're used to getting a lot of tourists and they are, they know how to handle them and, and I think in those cases a lot of these scenes are more like party scenes and so just be aware of going through a party scene like you would at home like be aware of your drinks be aware of your what you're doing like be aware of where you're staying be aware you know the information you're giving out about yourself because it can be a lot of like hordes of tourists and places and it's not necessarily my favorite way to travel like when I was in Bali I stayed in Ubud which was the capital versus the kind of beach areas which is where everybody was partying and I had a wonderful time there I stayed at a homestay with a family who was just so welcoming and so lovely and invited me with them to temple to one of their ceremonies and so that's the kind of experience I enjoy and I think you can find a lot of that anywhere you go and you can find safety anywhere you go in the same way big cities I think if you're somebody that's used to a big city you might feel comfortable somewhere like Madrid or somewhere like you know Lisbon and be like oh this is wonderful if you already know how to navigate a big city at night and those kind of things so it depends on you where you're comfortable what kind of impediments would make you nervous like is it not having the language is it not having the currency and how can you best anticipate that so that you can be comfortable when you're traveling and I firmly believe that every place has something good to offer like even the most boring town like they made a whole show about Schitt's Creek and we love Schitt's Creek like it's, I would love to visit there I'd love to see everything in that in that show right and so that just goes to show that even the smallest place can really be something that offers you something wonderful and an experience that you can take away so if you don't even want to travel internationally you can start off just doing day trips seeing your own state I promise there's so much to see like people think New York is New York City and when I think New York I think everything else you know I think the entire state beyond that and so when you're traveling if you're just curious aware and prepared I think that makes a big difference because it's a whole different story to land in a place to not know what's happening to not know where you're getting your current to not know how you're getting to your hotel to just be winging it there to be taking out your map and walking around like a tourist like all of that is problematic whereas if you go already and you're like I've already arranged reservations like a transport to the hotel or I already know and researched ahead of time like this train goes straight from the airport to the hotel and I can take this train and this is the time that it's leaving so I'm not going to be there like at 11 and it's not leaving again till 6am like you just research these things and then you don't get put in a bad spot and I think when I was starting I over research like I over research everything I was like it's going to take me three minutes to walk from my Airbnb to the train station stop these are the five next trains that are coming after that like 
crazy research and I had it in this crazy like folder of an itinerary, but that was almost like my armor. And it made me feel secure because knowledge is power, right? Especially when you're dropped somewhere where you don't know anything. So if you have a Google street view ahead of time, if you have some kind of orientation, you know, you're not just this lost tourist looking lost. And so it helps a lot. And I think for anybody that's starting, I do recommend that. I love spontaneity and travel. And now I travel much differently. But when I started traveling alone, I was nervous and I was scared about being somewhere by myself. That was something that helped me feel better. Mm, I love that. I love the binder with you so you can go and track everything. Yes. You just go through the itinerary like, okay, we made it. We are right on time. And also helps you fill your day and not feel lonely because you're on track with your itinerary. If you're busy, busy, you don't have time to sit here and be like, oh, I'm by myself. No, I've got things to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If like, let's say everything you built right now, let's say all the accounts were down, everything was taken away, everything disappeared. And you had to start off all over again today. And you wanted to do the same thing. You wanted to build the same thing, but you didn't know anything. What would you do? What would you want to start doing today to be able to create the same result? Like for anyone who's like, oh my gosh, I really want to be able to have the similar life as you. I want to be able to travel full time. What would you recommend for them? I would still focus on my blog and website because I think that that's your home base on the internet and it's not something that can be yanked away. So it's not like TikTok's going to stop and then I don't have a TikTok account anymore. So I think it's really important to have that as my anchor and I would start there. So I would develop my own website because my goal would be to monetize my digital presence. And I think a website is the strongest way to have a digital presence with as like the hub model and everything else is the spoke. But I think without a website, you don't have a place to bring people back to you. You don't have a home on the internet. It's literally your address on the internet. And then from there, I would build out the spokes, which are my social media accounts under that website name, my email newsletter, my books or products that I'm offering through that website. So I would build that out one by one based on where I saw the most traction at the moment. If it was a new social media platform that came up that I saw people were getting traction on, I would probably double down and and work on that one. You know, Pinterest, when I was getting started, was a big deal. And now it's TikTok and short form video more so that's driving actual traffic. And so I would adapt to whatever the thing at the moment. But again, understanding that the internet itself isn't going anywhere. And so it is important still to have that website as your home base where everything about you can be. And then it doesn't matter what I build out, like my speaker page, my testimonials, like the about anything like that, a shop, the Gabby's paid travel opportunities, like that's still all on her website because your website is your home base of you and your brand online. And it's something you 100% control, you 100% edit and have in your name and like nobody can take it away from you. It's yours as long as you're paying the, the fees. So that's just really powerful. And it gives you a good grounded place so that if any of the spokes, you know, peter out or break off, you're okay. And you can still keep going and building more and more off of that bigger brand. I don't think there's really a need to do anything brick and mortar nowadays. I think digital brands are really powerful. Like, hello, Amazon. I mean, Amazon now is branching out into brick and mortar as an afterthought. They're like, okay, we already own the internet. Let's also 
also maybe tackle retail, but they, they didn't need it, right? Like you can do so much of just building your business online. So I would start in building a website, populating a website with whatever it is that you want to talk about, because you can make money with a website to win anything, anything. Every website you visit is a website. Like, like you know, like you can make a website just like that. You can make a website like MSN or Yahoo or like, I mean, search engines are a little bit more complicated, but like uh, Elite Daily or like uh, Huffington Post, like all of these are websites, right? And everything you visit about all different things, TMZ is a website. So what is it that you want to share? What is it that you like? What is it that you can talk about for like a hundred articles? And, and how can you niche that down as something that's going to be relevant, right? So like, I like to talk about solo travel. I like to talk about culinary things. So I like to kind of have a adventure sometimes and, and bucket lists and kind of like living to your fullest and uh, remote work. So what kind, what are the kind of niches that you can set up expertise in? If it can be like just even one, even better. I'm, I'm multi-passionate, so it's hard for me to narrow things down. But if it can be like, I only want to talk about like moving to Cleveland. I want to make like the premier blog on moving to Cleveland. Like that's great because if you can populate your site with all this stuff and you can become the go-to guy for that, like you can make a moving to Cleveland book. Like you can make moving to Cleveland like a support group on Facebook that you can monetize. You can do like a buy-sell furniture group for moving to Cleveland. Like, you make your own little Craigslist. Uh, you can do like, like a moving to Cleveland I don't know, merchandise, like you can do a million of things once you have that authority and people know you as that person. So, and then literally on anything like non-travel related, there's a lady who makes over a half a million dollars a year on her blog talking about eggs and chickens, because apparently not a lot of people are talking about eggs and chickens specifically. And so she has the market cornered and I had no idea how much demand, but I mean, it makes sense. People make eggs worldwide and everywhere you travel, you'll find chickens. So I, and she just, she nailed it. And so she She's doing really, really well, making a ton of money being like the egg and chicken lady. So what do you want to be? Like, do you want to talk about pop culture because you love Netflix? So you want to have like the premiere, like Netflix review blog or streaming service review blogs. I wouldn't tie yourself to Netflix, but like, you know, streaming only. And then you talk about all the new shows that are coming out and you can monetize that and get invited to new show premieres. And you can be, you know, paid to review different things or promote them on your site and all kinds of stuff. So it's really just a matter of deciding what it is that you actually enjoy and and want to be an expert in because I enjoy gardening but I don't want people to come to me with their gardening questions Hmm. like you know and I feel like you have to make that distinction and find something that you want that's a good intersection so it's helpful you enjoy it and you actually have some some authority in it and then you have a a good online business Hmm. I love that you brought up the example of that lady because it's so funny because we don't think about it we don't think about eggs and chicken and creating a whole blog about it it's a good example yeah like anything yes that's what I'm saying what can and I, that's why you know everybody's like oh like I can't do that and I'm thinking literally anything like even if you're I remember I needed to I'm, I live in Puerto Rico so I have air conditioners and some units in the walls in addition to the central AC like as much AC as I can get and so one day one of the ACs was having issues and I'm trying to find AC repair stuff online. And I ended up watching like this video from this guy in India on YouTube, like in Indian, like trying to translate what he's saying because it's the only video I could find that was relevant to me. So even somebody who does like HVAC could do a whole channel on like repairing AC units, you know, and and a website with tips and all of that and get people. So really anything you know, anything you enjoy doing, somebody who reads a lot could do a book blog, like literally anything you like can be made into a website. There are people out there 
there's however many people are online now. What is it like 6 billion or something that have access to the internet? Like your people are out there. I promise you there's some weird websites. And so it's really just a matter of finding what you like and what you want to share. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a final question for you. If you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell her? Or if you want to tell her nothing, that's an option as well. I would give her a big hug because I think that she worries so much and I still have a, a I still have her inside of me and I still try to do this internally daily but I think she worries so much she has so much anxiety she doesn't wear the two-piece bathing suit because she doesn't think she looks exactly like the models and she's like working so hard to be like at all the jobs and all the internships and all the places and so I would just give her a hug and I would tell her how wonderful she is and that everything's gonna work out and hopefully having some kind of reassurance from like future gen lets her breathe right like lets her actually enjoy it because I think I've gone through so many things worried about them that I'm not actually enjoying them even when I was writing my book I you know that I worked so hard I worked two years to get a book deal and as I was doing it I was so nervous like what are people going to say to this what what will people respond when they read this what will my editor think you know what if my mom's reading this like so many things that I'm not actually enjoying the process that I had worked so hard for and so I think having that reassurance sometimes that we can't have right it's, it's called faith like believing that everything is going to be okay, but it's so hard to have because it's fully internal and we rely so much on external things. So I think if I just gave 20 year old Jen like external reassurance, like I'm here, I'm telling you, it's all going to be good. Like try to actually enjoy some of it because I just, I feel like I go so quickly to the next goal and the next thing. And I don't actually, I don't actually like what I'm doing along the way. And I realized that when I started traveling and I had those glimpses of joy when I was in places and I was like, wow, what's this feeling? I think it's happiness. <laughs> like, like it just feels so, it feels so light. I feel like I'm glowing from the inside. And you know, like, it's crazy. So I would just try to give her every chance to experience that. And I hope everybody else does as well. Because I think we have a lot of inner children that are trying to be a certain thing and are trying to meet demands. And I think if we all just express a little bit more self-love and acceptance, then we wouldn't be in such a rush and we wouldn't feel so bad about ourselves and so, yeah, that would be my advice. I love that. I love the reassurance and giving yourself that reassurance every day because it's still inside of you, which is incredible. And thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? You can find me at jenonajetplane.com and under social media, the same handle at jenonajetplane, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And on Amazon, my books are under Jen Ruiz. And 12 Trips in 12 Months, my memoir will be coming out fall 2023. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.